Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and I am here continuing my conversation with Nader Dabit. Nader is a developer relations engineer at Edge and Node, but he's done so much more in his career. He is a person I have a lot of respect for. He has lived through all of the Web 2.0 and AWS world that we live and breathe every day, and he's dipped his toe into what we all like to call Web 3. So as a developer, what should I even care about Web 3? I figured we would break this out into two parts. First episode, if you're interested and you haven't listened to, please listen to part one. You'll get to know who Nader is and why you should care all about this. In this episode, we're actually going to break it down into the tech what's a little bit different than maybe what you've been used to. I mean, even if you've been coding for five minutes or five years, uh, what does this all mean? So, Nader, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's just dive right in. Let's look at the tech stack. What does it mean when I'm coding against Web3? I like to think of it as... I'm coding against a blockchain and maybe instead of an API, things are a little different. People are going to hear things about tokens and immutable and all of these different things that maybe we haven't seen for as a developer. So somebody who's hearing this for the first time, how would you kind of break apart that that tech stack for them? Yeah, I think I like the definition of Web3 as the set of protocols that enable developers to build fully decentralized applications. Um, that's kind of like, it's just a broad overview, but the thing right. I would say, if we want to kind of talk about me personally, the first thing that was very compelling to me from uh, in a sense that like, I just thought it made a ton of sense. It definitely has to do with the application of stable coins and right. um, the ability for anyone in the world to be able to accept and send payments without an centralized intermedi intermediary. And this especially yeah. hit home at that time because I have family uh, in the Middle East, and we talked about this in the first episode that my family is from Palestine. But, yeah. but when you are Palestinian or Jordanian or Lebanese, there's actually a lot of overlap um, typically between your family because a lot of people were refugees and they were kind of like traveling yeah. between or trying to find places to live in one of those countries. So a lot of Jordanians uh, are Palestinian refugees, and, and also there are a lot of Lebanese as well. So um, therefore, we have a lot of ties to like all those countries. And at the time um, when I started exploring the, uh, Web3, um, I had a, f a friend and almost considered family member that was in town from uh, Lebanon, um, essentially was you could kind of like categorize as like an economic refugee in the sense that they lost yeah. all of the um, oh business and opportunity for them to continue. It's it's one of the things that you're talking about right there. Like I have a 12 word passphrase to my Bitcoin cold storage wallet that I can take to me anywhere in the world. Like if I, I think in terms 20 years from now, who knows what happens if I need to flee somewhere. Imagine in human history, like if you couldn't carry it, yeah, you can, just, you can literally go anywhere in the world and access that, right? You don't have to yeah. even have the same computer that you're on. All you need is your naked body and your mind. Right. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely, you definitely yeah. should be uh, finding ways. But um, but yeah, so I mean, yeah. going back to the, the, the question, I would say that was the original, one of the original yeah. things that, that was the most compelling in the sense that like, um, okay, I, 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 this, he was in town and we were talking about all this stuff when they were at dinner with us and like, you know, um, to, without going, if you don't know everything that's going on over there, but um, they had 1000% uh, or so inflation over the course of the year. Banks oh my shut uh, access down for anyone that was living there. Yeah. And therefore, if you had money in the bank, it was losing value 
um, every month and you couldn't withdraw it anyway. So after the a yeah. course of a year or two, you probably lost um, 95% of your life savings and you maybe lost your business because you weren't able to transact. Anyway, just it's just called this, this yeah. uh, snowball effect and this ripple effect. So you end up having a lot of people like, you know, with um, very huge problems. A lot of people like had to leave their family like him, come here and work and send you know money back home and stuff. Um, anyway, like without going, this is kind of off topic, but I, I did just meet with a founder a few days ago that was talking about how how stable coins were starting to become more and more used within Lebanon. But but this, and that is something that I knew that I thought would be the application of, of crypto and Web3 that was yeah. pretty, pretty powerful. But um, at the time, I had watched that talk. Um, I had, you know, had that discussion with him. Was like diving into all these different rabbit holes, and decided to also kind of learn ab about Solidity and, and smart contracts myself. And was like yeah. playing around with the smart contract, and realized that I could send a payment between two parties anywhere in the world with like three or four lines of code. And as a developer who's been writing Stripe, PayPal, all these obnoxious really, really complex payment APIs and services that are abstractions on top of all of these other other things like massively complex infrastructure to send payments. It was a huge light bulb moment for me. And it opened my eyes to the future of e-commerce, the future of point of sale, the future of uh, transfer of value. There's a million things I could go into there, but that alone was super compelling to me. And, and again, as a developer, I can still, I was thinking, know everything I know before. And maybe if I go into this, this will be just another thing that I'm good at and like I could um, become successful with. And I was just thinking about all the future applications of how I do believe this is going to transform e-commerce, point of sales, everything that we think about when we're transferring value. And that's without really going into all the other Web3 stuff that I hope we, we can cover as well. Yeah. I mean, developers, it's taking creative thought and generating code out of that is how I've always thought of it, right? It's a human idea and actually making it real. And that's what I love about this is we have these ideals. How do we make it real? And for me, I started thinking about this stuff after I had an episode. And if anyone's interested, this is not a plug at all, but the, the person is just incredible. President of the Apache Foundation, David Nally, who did episode two of, describes in that episode, there is an a open source library maintained by one developer that all of Amazon uses as their entire shipping fleet. And so it's like, what I've always seen this my whole life is when, when the developer takes a thought and a human ideal and gives it to the world, do they like, how do they get compensated and how do we ensure that they continue? And to me, that's really what we're trying to fix here. You know, I hear, you know, people have no idea what a DAO is, right? These autonomous organizations. And a lot of times I'll, sh I'll send people to your developer DAO uh, or Gitcoin. Like, I think Gitcoin is like a really good idea of you're a developer, you're doing open source. How do we make sure that you can continue to create? And I feel like that's what this technology is enabling is that in the past, if I was a developer and I wanted to make a living, I worked for a company. And it's not just a developer, it's a, it's a, it's a creator. Now, if I bring something into the world, I create, whether it's code or it's a piece of art, that I'm supported in such a way that I can continue to bring that forth, right? As somebody listening to this podcast, that's why you should care. <laughs> you shouldn't feel down that your boss at your job today is telling you, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? I created something that I think every developer, regardless of how long you've, doing, you've done it, when you actually, when you're past that debugging and you're in deploy, you get that 
you get that dopamine that you've brought something into existence. So let's talk a little bit about Web3. I'm not coding against, like, what is even this blockchain to you? Like, what's that core that you've learned when I'm going to write something and, or maybe I'm going to do a smart contract. And I guess, I mean, we could do a whole nother episode on non-fungible tokens and NFTs and all of this, but like, how does your brain grok um, coding against this thing versus this thing? Because to me, it's not that yeah, different. Yeah, it's sure. literally just another line of code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the technological aspect of being a developer and writing the code itself and the logic is the exact same, but the paradigm yeah. is so different. Like, and and I think that's the thing that maybe is either controversial or it's hard for people to to wrap their head around because right. it is a completely different. Um, at least when you're talking about digital scarcity, it's a completely different paradigm, and some people don't even like believe that it exists. Like if you, some people say, if, if my dollar needs to be worth uh, something or this, this, um, I don't know, let me just hold up a cup of coffee. I paid $5 for this cup of coffee. Like the reason it's worth $5 is because that business like has the milk and they didn't make it. Right. Um, like everything has value based on what people per- perceive. And yep. sometimes that value is something that I can consume like a piece of gold. I can make jewelry out of it or I can build something with it. Um, I can also exchange it for, for something, right? Like everything in this world like has perceived value. Now, if if I live in the United States, um, someone saying, you know, I can bring you a, a gallon of fresh water every day isn't that much value, but maybe someone, someone else in a different part of the world. So it's kind of like yeah. this idea of value, like what is valuable and what is not valuable. So when you start here hearing about this idea of cryptocurrency, some people just don't believe it's it's worth anything. But it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what right. anyone thinks. The market, like the actual world and the supply and demand kind of yeah. decides that. So the paradigm that we're talking about here is digital scarcity. And it's this idea that some people don't believe that only governments with military should define what's valuable, but maybe other there are other ways. And therefore, we had the original version of that with a distributed uh, ledger technology that enabled Bitcoin and this idea of um, transferring value on that network. That was kind of like the, the got, foundation of to all of this. It's almost like when I first learned how to be a web programmer, I had to actually learn what a web server was. And then mm-hmm. I wound up learning what ISAPI filters were. And then I wound up learning like, just this history, right? And there's this history here that that exists. And without getting too much into Bitcoin, the whole idea of a, a blockchain and a proof and a ledger and a proof of work is that throughout human history, and this exists the same way today in a lot of these fiat-based systems, right? Is that it's it's managed by a select few versus everything being out there in the open and verifying that everything that's happened is what it's happened, right? And that's very different than what we're used to as developers. I mean, you could you could run a Bitcoin node today, and the first thing you do when you run a Bitcoin node is you sync 12 years worth of transactions. So every single thing that's happened throughout time. And that's hard to grasp the first time as a human being. Imagine if you're writing a piece of code, and the first thing you need to do is sync every single PR you know, that's ever happened in that, in that code base. But I think it's important as human beings kind of know. So I think you, you, you started talking a little bit about that and you know, what's, what's different there. So go ahead and continue. 
Yeah, so I think like going continuing on there, it's kind of around what is the value. So like why do people around the world to the tune of anywhere between I guess one and a half to two trillion dollars is the current market cap and it'll probably go down a lot and it'll probably go up a lot from right. when this conversation happens. But like why does that market cap exist? And I think the reason that these people think that these currencies are do hold value is that they have a utility that we never had before. Right. The utility is the fact that I, anywhere in the world, can open a browser and create a wallet without the gatekeeping of any centralized intermediary. I don't have to have a a, a, a license. I don't have to have the best like record, like criminal record or whatever that government is going to kind of put as a prerequisite. I don't have to be of a certain gender. Certain countries in the world, even today, 2022, do not allow it's women true. to open bank accounts. There's all the things that that prevent people from participating in the economy. So if you are anywhere in the world, you can literally open up your browser and you can accept a payment with maybe one minute worth of work. And it's revolutionary yeah. when you kind of compare that to what you have to do today in Palestine for me to send someone money there. Let's say we both uh, want to go from zero to one. That means I need to go first to find my birth certificate somewhere and then yeah. I need to go to to the um, local you know, government and uh, at a time when they're open or maybe I can do it online, yeah. wait a couple of days, get my driver's license. I then need to go open an email address. I need to then... Um, because I'm, I'm like kind of going ahead here, but like I need to go with my ID to the bank with yep. a, some additional paperwork. I have to bring money there to open the account. I then need to go online and go to Stripe or Venmo or PayPal or something with my email address and all this other shit, put it all together, open an account. Yep. That's just me. That's not counting the person <laughs> in Palestine. And, and let me tell you what, it's way, way harder there. And then guess what? When I send money there, they're going to try to flag it as terrorism or like that. And they might decide to not let me send it there, even though uh, all I'm saying is like they find reasons to get in yeah. front of people that want think, to, to interact with each other and just literally send it without anyone's permission. Um, they can receive it. No one's going to stop it from happening and they own it. As a developer, I can actually be part of that enables anyone anywhere to get full access to the sweat of their brow. Yeah, the in banking essence, infrastructure. Right? They that, can even they can even bank yeah. on stable stable currencies. Where in, uh, again in Lebanon or Venezuela, wherever these other countries, uh, Argentina, countless others, where their money right. becomes worthless over time, and that's and that's there's a huge reason why the largest critics of these distributed ledger technologies come from countries where they don't have to deal with any of these problems. Right. It's hard to have empathy with pain of of the problems that yeah. these. Okay, so that's like the, the foundation of like why I think a lot yeah. of this stuff is uh, is important. But when you start adding, in addition to that, that these are just primitives, building blocks that developers can use to build applications with, that's when your mind really kind of starts yeah. to get blown because you start realizing, okay, not only is this, you know, fundamentally, if, if the only thing you could do with it was just send tokens back and forth around the world, like that, that alone to me is like great and all that. But like when you start thinking of it as a primitive, as a developer that you can start building stuff with, then you start kind of right. getting down the rabbit hole of like Web3 and a lot of these other all interesting applications of, of how we might build on the internet in the future, you know? So why don't we make that real for people? And I'm going to, I'm going to 
share this link with you and what tools, you know, as somebody who's involved in, in, in different things, I think, um, like Ethereum, regardless of what you think of Ethereum, it's been super impressive to me from a developer standpoint. And I can go to the documentation and I can look up these different contracts and these contracts are going to define, you know, whether it's ERC-20 or ERC-721, uh, which NFTs and, you know, fungible, non-fungible, basically any developer knows immutable um, versus not, you know, just all of that that's out there. Do you sit in VS Code? When you, like, how do you think, how has your process changed now that you've been doing, gosh, has it been, has it been a year? It's been you, 10 months. 10 months. So how has your brain changed in the way that you think about problems? Somebody's sitting here today and they've got a couple of different serverless APIs they're thinking about. Has it changed your, the way you think about data store? Has it changed the way that you think about scalability? Um, I would say instead of like changing the way it's that, that I think about things, instead, it's kind of just opened my mind to more possibilities of, of how I might build stuff. So if I want right. to build, you know, the same application that I might have built a year ago, I, I, I probably would have just still be using the same the same tools that I maybe would have built an application with uh, back then. But instead of kind of saying, oh, I'm going to build that now with these new set of tools, instead, I'm like, OK, if I want to build a financial application or I want to build out something where I want to have a back end that anyone in the world could possibly build upon and use my data, my public data, and also maybe write uh, transactions or write data to my back end in a permissionless way, then I might consider using um, a Web3 quote unquote technology like a blockchain. And, and then often people are now categorizing peer to peer databases that are um, I would say mature enough for production, like into this same, same bucket. But um, right. I think like one way that, that I can describe why some of these um, open permissionless backends would be valuable for, for them to build upon um, is if we use an example like Twitter. So Twitter API for a while was like really, really great. And a lot of companies were building on, on top of it. So you had yeah. like multi-million dollar companies building on top of the Twitter API. But when you, are using someone else's API, you're kind of at the you, you're kind of at the discretion of of any changes that they decide to make. So they could literally just wake up tomorrow and decide to shut you down because they could close off those APIs. So therefore you can't really use the Twitter backend as kind of like this immutable building block, or I would say this, you know, this building block for an application that you can just assume that's still gonna work five years from now or two years from now. Right. But if you have this data that you know is going to continue to be available and these APIs that are going to be available, you can build, you can treat that as like a Lego block and continue building on on top of it, right? So I think that's one way to kind of think about about these Web3 backends. Yeah, and I think, I think developers get separation of concerns, right? And there's always been that idea in the back of the head of, what do I own and what does AWS own and, and where's this line and what am I responsible for? I mean, that's one of the great things about serverless is that the separation of concern of patching a server in an instance I no longer need to worry about. But I think what Web 3.0 has always brought to me is separation of concerns and an API and a data retention level too. And we, we live in this real world 2022 idea of state censorship. 
right? Mm-hmm. And 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 what does that mean? Uh, and I so I think blockchain brings some of that kind of stuff. I gosh, we could just talk about this stuff for days. I, I my hope is that people will will listen to some of this. They'll understand the journey you'll be on. They'll understand the promise of this. It's not all about you know. I hear and I see both sides in my Twitter feed. I always try to see both sides to understand. And you know, you'll see people talking about. Uh, I can just right click and save a JPEG. And then, you know, it's, I, it, what is, what is ownership versus the actual item? Right. Cause that's always been different. It's mm-hmm. like, a, I, I think one of the best examples I saw recently was a marriage certificate. You know, it's like, that's, you know, that is a, there's a thing under law. Around like NFTs or something like that. Yeah. I think NFTs are a yeah. good, a good topic yeah. to touch on for sure. Yeah. Um, and I always, the way I always explain to people is like, um, if I was a architect and I built an amazing house, cause everybody just tends to focus on musicians and stuff, but everybody's got a mortgage, right? And you bought that house. Um, and then it was an NFT and then I have the ability to sell that house in perpetuity. Um, I could get a little percentage of that as could the architect for the rest of time which has never existed through human history, by the way, which is uh, people have always wanted. And it could be a small percentage. It could be 0.05 or it could be 1% or it could be something like that. But it's this idea of bringing something forth into the world that you continue to get credit regardless of whether you're involved or not as that moves forward. And, you know, like when you think about how society evolves and how technology evolves and everything just evolves, it just, you know, we try to find better ways of doing things and we try to improve the things that we were doing. And like, I would say the music industry, for example, obviously is, is, is changed a lot in the sense that people were like selling albums. Right. Um, but like to be discovered back then when you were selling a tape or a CD, you had a lot less likelihood of being discovered because the internet didn't really exist. So you had to kind of like yeah. get discovered and like that. So the internet brings, the platform to the average person, but now monetization is a little different because you now have uh, tens of thousands of artists, and now streaming platforms pay you like fractions of a penny for for a listen. Um, so like, there's trade offs there, and I think like you now you have now with uh, NFTs and, and people are doing music NFTs, and also this idea around tokenizing a community, which is right. something that I think we're going to see a lot more of and. Um, they're, they're just new ways for people to kind of like make money off of the work that they're doing and right. al- often gives their fans a way to give back to them and f- have something, you know, in return for, th- for that, or maybe feel like right. more of a community participant. So those things are still being explored for sure. I, why don't I do this? Why don't I, I'm going to, I'm going to put your links because I think I love doing the show notes and people do use them. And I always look at this podcast as it's like, Hey, it's a conversation, get to know the person, understand why you should care, but you've done a really great service in that the, the links that I'll share are like a starter guide. So if I'm a developer listening to this and I want to open up and code and actually see right down to the line of code, that's different you've created some of those guys. So I'll do that. And then why don't I end with what has got you excited for the next six months? Because, you know, we read the news every day. We live in this time where I think there's the too much focus on the future, right? The future is what we make. The, the future is we decide, you know, and, and we can build something better. And I feel like 
too many times nowadays we get told this is what the future is going to look like and you should feel sad. What's really got you excited about this space? What are you building towards the future? Where do you see this stuff headed? Yeah, so I've never been happier and I've never been more excited in my entire like life, much less my career oh, to be awesome doing here. this stuff yeah. like in this space. I just left ETH Denver, which is Ethereum Denver. And you know, being yeah, at yeah, these events, yeah, it was it was wild, but like being at these events is not like being in a traditional tech event. And obviously I haven't been to like maybe South by Southwest or some of these other might be a little different. But yeah, when you kind of are web three doesn't just isn't just for software it's creators. It's for, yeah. Yeah. It's for creators. It's for musicians. It's for artists. It's for people that are like teaching and there's, there's people that are doing public goods, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you get all these people together. I right. mean like, yeah, it's no joke. You get all these people together and it's just so much fun. Everyone's collaborating. And I think that yeah. it's enabled so many groups, different groups of people to combine technology with creativity and being able to kind of find ways to earn money using those things. And um, it's just a really fun, fun place to be. And there's unlimited opportunity here. I know tech in general has unlimited opportunity today. Like if you're a developer, you obviously have people knocking down your door. Um, but right. I just feel like I'm happier. I'm having a, a great time. I truly, uh, with my heart and soul, think that we are building stuff that is going to improve the world. Not, I'm not saying that it is solving all of the world's problems, but I do feel like a lot of the stuff that we're doing is improving the world. And uh, when you're doing all those things together, it's just a really meaningful like place to be. So I would, uh, I would definitely, you know, try to to um, ask people to like dive into smart contract development if you're a developer, right. um, maybe dive into some of the different communities that are out there that are actually doing good stuff because there are scams out there. There are like downsides, which we haven't really spoken about uh, to much extent at all, actually, which yep. uh, would, if you ever want to do an episode on, just on that, we could probably yeah. do an, a whole episode on that because there is downsides and trade-offs just like there are to like most technologies, but in general, I would say, you know, dive into a few technologies, uh, write a smart contract and, um, you know, just explore some of the interesting people that are out there and keep an open mind. You know, any kind of there's opportunities, there's opportunistic, uh, people, you know, like my, my, the discord servers I'm on are filled with these little bots every day that like try and send me things. And I, you know, but to me, that's just verification of that. This is something real. They wouldn't waste time on it uh, if it wasn't. And uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I appreciate everything that you've been doing for the community and all these guides. I don't know when you have time between all the travel that you do. And and I know a lot of it comes out of your passion. Uh, so thank you. And then once again, for folks who haven't listened to the first part of the episode, where can they go ahead and, and find you online? Yeah, twitter.com slash dabit3. So just dabit3 on Twitter. Um, I'm on YouTube at Natter Dabit. So if you can go to youtube.com slash N-A-D-E-R-D-A-B-I-T. And um, you can go to the my blog on dev.2. And you can also just uh, check out the Edge and Node blog. I have a couple of blog posts there. Edge yeah, and Node yeah. is the team that I work with along with the Graph Protocol. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time today. Hopefully this cleared up some for confusion for folks of you know, what Web 2.0 is, what Web 3.0, this is really just about, uh, you know, the evolution of, of technology. And there's, I think, regardless of whether you decide to spend a career in this, I think there's just some really interesting things that are going on that, uh, you know, are interesting for, for, for anyone creating, whether you're, you're a developer or, uh, you know, you're writing. 
music or a piece of art. It's it's kind of like the merging of technology and and everything else, and it's just super cool to see. So thank you for taking the time today. I super appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed the discussion.